Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are ready to worship. So if you would, if you're able, please stand to your feet and sing along with us. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice, he wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. And trembles at his voice, and trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Age to age he stands And time is in his hands Beginning and the end Beginning and the end The God had three in one Father, Spirit, Son the lion and the lamb, the lion and the lamb, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our
sings My soul, my Savior God to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art Then sings my soul Then sings my soul my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Saves, 
You are the God who prospers. Fervently we pray. Oh, Spirit, pour out and flood this city. Yes, heaven come down and shake the walls. Yes, fill us, Lord, the world is waiting. Father, let your kingdom come. Hey, spirit, pour out and flood this city. Oh, yes, Lord, heaven come down and shake the walls. Feel us, Lord, the world is waiting. Father, let your kingdom come, because you are the God who builds. You are the one who saves. You are the God who prospers. Evil has no claim. You are the God who builds. You are the one who saves. You are the God who prospers. Fervently we, oh, you are the God who builds. You are the one who saves. You are the God who prospers. Evil has no claim. You are the God who builds. You are the one who saves. You are the God who prospers. Fervently we pray. Spirit pour out and flood this city. Heaven come down and shake the walls. Feel us, Lord, the world is waiting. No, Father, let your kingdom come. Oh, Spirit, pour out and flood the city. Heaven come down and shake the walls. Feel us, Lord, the world is waiting. Father, let your kingdom would join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit who teaches, guides, comforts, and strengthens us as we seek to follow your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we have become a confused, anxious, and fearful society. People are asking questions. What in the world's going on? How do we navigate this? Lord Jesus, there is a great hunger and thirst among the people, a sense that godly goodness and righteousness is what we are seeking in a world that seems upside down with increasing lawless activity, evil activity. 
I pray we will be filled as your word promises. Help us to see, receive, and live in your righteousness as a church and as a nation. If we purpose to enjoy your presence, reading, studying, praying your words from the Holy Bible, listening to good Bible teaching, participating together in various areas of service in church and in our community, I pray that our minds and hearts will become a good soil, fertile and rich in holy wisdom, discernment, and action. I pray that as we come to know the Lord Jesus more and more, that our faith, hope, love, and trust in you, along with our compassion and love for mankind, will yield a holy harvest for God's glory. May we today and every day purpose to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, we are so glad that you are here. On your way in, you should have received a bulletin. On there, you will find our Connect card. If you are looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out that Connect card so we can get to know you. If you have new contact information, please fill out that Connect card so we can keep you updated. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. Here at LJCC, we want to walk together in our journey of seeking after God. If you are just beginning in your faith, desire a deeper connection with God, or simply curious about the Christian walk, then please join us for our worship and prayer night, an intentional time devoted to praising our Lord. Our worship and prayer night will take place this Thursday, June 15 at 6.30 p.m. There will be songs, prayer, and a time to meet with others. Let's worship the Lord together. We hope you enjoy the rest of our worship service. Well, good morning. Glad you're here today. Um, the weather. Can we talk about the weather? Uh, has anybody noticed how consistent the weather is in San Diego these days? <laughs> you wake up every day thinking, today will be the day. Uh, uh, we're looking forward to weather change. Uh, but change is in the air. I'm sure the weather will get better eventually. Uh, you can only just move to a place like Dallas where every 10 minutes you, get, you alternate from heat stroke to hailstones. Uh, Jen and I were up in uh, British Columbia the last couple weeks celebrating our 40th anniversary. It was amazing, uh, thinking that getting married at 10 makes a big difference, though, I tell you. When, um, and how fast 40 years goes by and the changes. And uh, I've, done a, I've done hundreds and hundreds of weddings in uh, every, every conversation with 
the, 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 the bride and groom, the betrothed, um, uh, to be. Uh, the guy's attitude is generally, I hope she never changes. She's perfect the way she is. Don't change. And I always see a little bubble emerge above the woman's head. And it says, I think I can work with him. I think I can improve him. I think there's some raw material here that in the proper <laughs> process, in the right hands, I can make something of this boy. You know? And uh, so change, it's inevitable. And even if you don't plan on changing, you can't help but change. Somebody came up with a phrase. Uh, there's, there, uh, there's, um, it's great. I can't remember it. But anyway, um, no, the only thing that's permanent is change. The only thing that's permanent is change. And change is a big theme in the Bible. Change is a very big theme in the Bible. Uh, well, let me just pull back for just a second. What changes are you going through? I wish we had time to hear about them because they might be really small, imperceptible changes. You might be saying, you know, I'm coming out of a fog. I, I didn't realize it was a fog, and now I'm coming out of a fog. I have some clarity about who I am. Maybe it's a relationship that's been holding you back and keeping you down, and you somehow accommodated yourself to it. That's one way of change, to shrink yourself, to fit yourself into an, um, an untenable, uh, unsustainable situation. And when finally you break out of it, for whatever reason, you go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Um, I, I had, uh, we had 10 years ago, we were having lunch with some friends, and they had moved from Chicago to Menlo Park, California, and I said, well, What's it like moving from Chicago to Menlo Park, California? And the woman, without missing a beat, said, it's like getting out of prison early. <laughs> For her, it was this big po positive change because she was from California. And he's going, well, I kind of miss Chicago. That's where he grew up, you know. Uh, right now, there's, we're going to be celebrating next weekend some graduations, uh, some transitions, some commencements um, at several different levels. And my gosh, those changes are big and wonderful and scary. But change is a big theme in the Bible. Um, think about it. Uh, let there be light. Right up front, the first, the first line in the Bible is a statement of change. Uh, it, it was dark. There was nothing. And God said something. And that something came into being. And then every day we see in the seven days of creation, the six days and the seventh day is the day of rest, every day of creation there's more change. Whoa, by Wednesday, aren't they thinking, enough is enough. I mean, can we slow this pace down a little bit? Uh, and then, of course, scientifically, we would say the way we analyze that is it's, you know, 14 and a half billion years of process of creation. It's ongoing. And even then, you think that's a blink of an eye. You know, in terms of, you know, just north of where we were in Canada, there's a place called the, the Burgess Shale. And the Burgess Shale is every paleontologist's dream because it shows, it documents the Precambrian explosion. And out of, there's, there seemed to be just steady state, and all of a sudden, boom, there's this explosion of, of life forms. And so the Burgess Shale is, is it's a world-rocking, uh, reality-changing understanding of the perspective of how things happen. So change in, in all of its glorious wonder. I mean, the, the newborn baby that the parents watch every minute for the first, you know, three months until finally they realize, I think this is fine. I think we can just trust it. It's going to be going pretty well from here on out. By the third child, they go, where did those three months go? Did anybody look at the baby? Did anybody take a picture of the kid? Um, you know what I'm talking about, Jake. So um, yeah, the third child says, was I in no videos anywhere? Was, you know, uh, did you guys run out of film with me? So sometimes the changes are so small and sublime, you don't notice them unless you really care. And this is the annoying thing about being a grandparent. If you say to somebody, hey, have I shown you the pictures, my recent pictures of my grandchildren? And they'll say, no, thank you for not, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, because you're seeing these changes 
oh my gosh, yesterday he was, you know, two, now he's two in a week. You know, look at that. Look at the change. So change, uh, from our experience, is a very big deal, whether it's on a large scale or a very small scale. It's, it's, it's oftentimes documented by pictures. I can't believe my hair looked like that in eighth grade. I can't believe I wore those clothes. I can't believe I thought that was cool and hip. And, and while you're doing those things, all the adults around you are going, just wait. It's going to catch up with you. You're going to say, who thought that would look good? Well, I did, you know. And so here in the Bible, we're talking about um, the change is a huge thing. What Changing your perspective through knowledge of God's ways. Going from God is nowhere to God is now here. That this is a big world that could swallow me up and nobody would miss me. To No, God knows the, the number of hairs on your head. Uh, so perspective through knowledge of God's ways. Belief in his word. Uh, I, can, I can trust in the word of God. I can stand on the firm foundation of God's word. Why? Because it's a document? No. Because it's a book? No. Because it's old? No. Because it's God's word. The same God who said, let there be light in the darkness, makes promises and fulfills them through his word. We don't worship the word of God. You don't worship the Bible. If you drop the Bible, you pick up the Bible. If, if you know, something happens to your Bible, you get a new Bible. If you want to un- highlight it, you highlight the Bible. The Bible is a holy book only because it points us to a holy God. The Bible in and of itself is not an object of worship. It's a portal to the God who compels us to worship. So a new perspective through knowledge of him and his ways and belief in his word is a massive change agent. Changing your mind and your heart through new commitments. I will be faithful to you. Uh, in terms of repentance, Lord, I'm turning back toward you. Uh, in terms of obedience, Lord, this looks really hard. I will do this. I've been doing this. Your word says me to do that. Uh, I don't know. It might cost me something. And you hear this dim echo coming out of your, the back of your head, and it's the Holy Spirit saying, it will cost you. It will cost you. Just like investing money and getting a big return costs you something. No pain, no gain kind of a thing. Not, not as a price to pay. God requires it, everything to cost us something. No. It's that what we think is a cost, God is offering as an opportunity. That's the amazing thing about it. I don't know if I can trust God. Are you kidding me? He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. Sometimes it's about changing your location, your vocation. You see this God calling Abram to leave one place and go to another. Why? Because he needed a change of venue or view? No, because he wanted to do a work in Abram and a work through Abraham. We wouldn't be sitting here if Abram said, I'd love it here in Ur of the Chaldees. I'm not going to go anywhere. Jonah tried that, by the way. God said, I want to change those people in Nineveh, and Jonah, I'm calling you to do it. He goes, I'm not up for that change. Uh, In fact, the only change I'm making is I'm escaping by boat. You'll never find me. (laughs) And you know the rest of that story, uh, that a city was changed. And and even then, Jonah was grumbling about it. Finally, God said, do you understand what's at stake here? Tens of thousands of people made in my image lost to me because of their rebellion against me. And you've just told them to repent, and they have. It's a day of rejoicing. Get out of your pity puddle. Get out of your mopey mode and uh, get with the program. So sometimes it's a change of location, vocation, a change of status. 
Onesimus, a slave owned by a guy named Philemon. Philemon becomes a follower of Jesus. His new best friend is the Apostle Paul. Along the way, a church starts in his house in Colossae. Paul eventually writes letters to the church that have blessed all of us here. Passages of that letter are often used in weddings, in chapter 3. An understanding of the world and how it's made and what God is doing in it through Jesus is revealed in that letter to the Colossians. Along the way, Philemon's servant, Onesimus, runs away. He makes it all the way from Colossae in Turkey to Rome. It's a big, long journey when you're a slave. You don't look like you fit in anywhere except for as a slave, and so somehow he got there. While he's in Rome, he encounters the Apostle Paul, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And Paul adopts him as if he were a son and, and tutors him, mentors him, coaches him, disciples him, and then writes a letter that he sends back to Philemon via Onesimus. And he says, Philemon, my dear brother, who owe me your very life. I know you'd have me visit you in a moment and you would prepare a place for me in your home. You'd rearrange your schedule to accommodate me. I can't make it, but instead I'm sending my son. You might know him. His name is Onesimus. He left you a slave. He's returning back to you as a fellow follower of Jesus. Changes a foot. It took a hard swallow and some thought for Philemon to digest it properly. Change of location, change of vocation, change of status. And this goes on through the ages and stages of life. You will change your status. As soon as you go from being mama's little boy or girl and you're a big, big preschooler, your status has changed. Your second year of preschool, you're kind of strutting around the playground going, hey, you're new. <laughs> you don't even know what you're in for. You know, the kid who gets out of kindergarten into first grade is feeling like, this is it. I've hit my high point. It's all coasting from here on out. Status changes. Um, sometimes as a, as, a, as a parent, you think, I've lost my status. My children have abandoned me. And somebody then says gently, no, no, they went to college. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's a good thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Or they get married and you go, I've been demoted. I'm no longer the guy in my daughter's life. No, you've been promoted. You're now the guy in her husband's life, too. The other demotion, you go, oh, my gosh, I'm no longer the main event. There's grandkids. I'm not only second, now I'm third. No, you've been extra promoted to know-it-all, wise entity being. You're like Yoda and Obi-Wan all rolled into one person now. You know? So you see where this goes? Status changes often look like going down, but they're really going down so you can go up. We stoop to conquer, so to speak. And so we're perpetually in a season of change and transition, even when we're not aware of it. Changes are happening in you that you're not even aware of. God is preparing you for something you haven't even thought of. Or maybe you're thinking of it, but you're not really thinking of it in God's terms, so you don't know quite what he's doing to change you, and prepare you, or rather prepare you for the change that's coming. And you're feeling impatient. What's God doing? Why isn't it happening? And he's doing it. It is happening. You're just not paying attention. Or because it's so complex and so multifaceted in you and around you, you can't, you can't take it all in to see the changes that are happening. You can imagine the, 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 the created beings in heaven, the angels looking over God's shoulder, so to speak, saying, oh my gosh, look at what, he's, look at what the Lord is doing. And this guy, this, this woman doesn't even know it. It's like you know something exciting. We went to a surprise party last, last night for a guy who uh, was turning 80, and he had no idea. Well, first of all, he's a guy, so why would he have an idea? You know, um, 
he walks into this room and he's just blown away. And he's a confident go-for guy. He's done a lot of great things in his life, continues to do amazing things around the world in his life. And he couldn't say anything. He, just, he was speechless. And later I said, it, it felt pretty emotional standing up there in front of all those people, didn't he? He goes, yeah, I couldn't talk. Because if you talk, you start crying. Yes! And you didn't want to do that. No. You know, so he just tried to hold it together. Wow. Even when we're not aware of it, something beautiful is happening. His wife has been working on this party for months and months and months and just praying that nobody gives it away. <clears throat> so, uh, change uh, perpetually. Uh, you might be in a season of change and transition and not be aware of it, but in Christ, you can look forward to it. He's saying that time is in his hands, the beginning and the end. He's saying a song where he talks about us prospering in him. Prosperity might mean stripping away all the non-essential things. Prosperity might be adding a bunch of things. But in God's hands, it's all good. So change ultimately is defined by the direction we're going. Change is defined by the direction we're going. Because if you're going in the wrong direction, things are changing. If you're on the, if you're on the highway going in the wrong direction, you still have a view. Oh, beautiful scenery, it's fantastic. Until you realize, oh my gosh, I'm going in the wrong direction. It was change, but it was the wrong kind of change. So change, the best kind of change that the Bible describes, is defined, about, is defined by direction. Are you complete in Christ? If you're a follower of Christ, are you, have you got it all together now? No, but you're in the right direction. And so the going is as important as the getting there. Attitudes are important. What are yours? What direction is yours right now? And what are your attitudes along the way? Now, let me, let me put it in this context. We resist change when it feels like loss. Nobody looks forward to change that looks like loss. And again, sometimes we, we don't understand how to define what the loss or the gain is. Because when we think change is for gain, we can't wait to move into it. If we, that's a big gain. Ah, this is a fantastic change. I got the job of my dreams. Everything is going to be better. I'm making so much more money. I have so much more responsibility. It's going to be so wonderful. And about three months later, you go, why, why, why am I doing this? This is so not me. Well, because you saw these gains that temporarily obscured the things that are most important to you. So sometimes the changes come because you're saying no to a lot of things, and you've not because of fear of I can't take it on, but I know who I am. One thing I've really appreciated about getting older, um, now that I'm the same age as old people, is that, um, and all my peers and friends who are getting older, they would say, you know, I've learned how to see the value in things, whereas before I only saw the cost of things. That's expensive, that must be good. I have this, therefore I have worth. If I, if I lose that, oh, there goes my worth. But in that direction, that attitude, and that sense of this is all gain in Christ, this is what Paul said, you know, at one point he thought he was going to die in prison and, and it, was a, it was a head fake because he had a lot more years to go. But while he was in that situation, he said, I don't know, is it better to live or die? If I die, I get to go to be with Christ. If I remain here, I get to be with you. It's a hard decision to make because I love you. And man, I want to be with Christ. But he says, to live in Christ or to die, it's gain. He resolved that for himself. Where are you on that? How do you measure loss and how do you measure gain? 
I'm not talking about weight either. I'm talking about your attitudes and your direction. So changes are necessary, losses. Think about it that way. Changes are necessary and inevitable losses. Years ago, a woman named Judith Viorst wrote a great book, um, Necessary Losses. The change entails losses. Do you know the term molting? You know the term molting. Have you ever had a soft-shell crab in a fancy restaurant? That was a molting blue crab that didn't make that transition very well because that blue crab ditches its current shell to move into a more secure shell. And in that vulnerable point, they become a feast uh, for, for seafood restaurants. Molting. Every little, every little bird starts losing feathers, right? It's cute. Uh, why? They're molting. They're losing the feathers. They're ditching it. They're losing that so they can become the bird they're meant to be. Molting. It's just a Latin word that we've accommodated to English. It's just mutare. It means to change. It's inevitable and necessary. Oh my gosh, I'm losing my feathers. Don't worry, those are your pin feathers. Think of the shock of every small child. My teeth are falling out. You know, no, no, you'll get bigger ones, better ones. They're on the way. So change always involves risk and requires wisdom because we're vulnerable and unsteady in the process of change. That's why we need wise counselors. Who's your mentor? Who's your coach? Who can you go to and say, give me some perspective? Now, often we're way better doing that for others than for ourselves. That's why we need each other. That's why a person who can be very much your junior can give you some very wise insight and perspective. A person you think is irrelevant, all of a sudden uh, you, you have a conversation with them and you realize they are so observant and wise in the way they see things. They're giving me feedback. I had no idea they had the capacity to give me. This is so helpful. What does it require to get that in that in-between, in-betwixt and between stage of molting, which we inevitably do throughout life? It takes vulnerability and humility. If you don't have it, you don't get to change in the way that you want to change most. Vulnerability and humility is, is an aspect, an essential aspect of change. Not recklessness, naivete, oh, I'll trust anybody, everybody. But no, wisely trusting people to help, help you get through that inevitable, uh, confusing forest uh, that goes along with change. <clears throat> now let me put this in a, in, a, in, a, in a theological perspective for you. Everything good in this world comes from the kingdom of God. That's our theme today. We're talking in this series about God is in the details of life. And, and we have to understand the kingdom of God. I think last week Scott talked about the people of God. Maybe it was a week before that. But the kingdom of God, it's essential that we talk about this. And it's one of those fuzzy concepts that people go, I don't, I don't know what it's about. Therefore, for a long time, the, the American church especially would never talk about the kingdom of God. Because it was too big and too out there. And people felt like maybe it's anti-intellectual. It sounds like I'm just going to wait for, to die and go to heaven. <clears throat> and heaven is a place and all that. And missing the complexity and the profundity of what heaven is. We're not going to heaven. Heaven is coming to us. A new heaven and a new earth. Following the judgment. But the kingdom of God uh, tells us this. Everything good in this world comes from the kingdom of God. Everything good in this world comes from the kingdom of God. If you trace everything good in the world, you'll inevitably get back to the kingdom of God. The second uh, perspective here, everything that's wrong in this world is the result of rebellion against the kingdom of God. Everything that's wrong in the world is an act of rebellion against the kingdom of God. 
Well, then, if that's so true, how can people at church do dumb things? Because in their own human way, maybe it's pride, maybe it's fear. They're rebelling against the kingdom of God at some point. Well, the church stood for slavery. The church has stood for, yeah, selfish people, fearful people, cling to things that are uh, bad because that's that's what they have put their confidence in. And for them, change is loss. Until they realize, oh my gosh, this is an anchor I'm holding, I'm going to drown. Let go of the anchor. Everything that's wrong in this world is a result of rebellion against the kingdom of God. And the final perspective theologically here is that everything that is wrong in this world will be made right by the kingdom of God. Jesus comes out of a context. God himself in his kingdom says, I'll be right back. I'm entering into my creation. I'm going to redeem it. Profound. It'll keep physicists up at night trying to sort this out even as it keeps theologians awake at night, and anybody awake at night. You can't go on a camping trip to Joshua Tree and, and fall asleep under the stars and think there's something else going on here. You can't go up in the High Sierra and be at 11,000 feet on top of Matterhorn Peak in that most remote part of the High Sierra and, and look at the stars and not say, there must be something going on here. It, it evokes this out of it. Sitting around a campfire makes everybody a poet and a philosopher <clears throat> because we start talking about the things that really are deep in our soul. If you're in a boat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, I can tell you, you're thinking great theological thoughts. So how do we apply this? Well, it says, Jesus told them another parable. This is in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't you, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Well, where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Now, the wheat uh, and these plants that were called in the first century tares, T-A-R-E-S, look exactly alike when they're growing. They just look like, what, what's wheat? It's a grass. And so it's a form of grass that looks just like wheat. Well, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both go together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. How? Why? Because at the end of the process, the wheat emerges as what it is. You see the wheat kernels. The wheat is just a weed. Well, then Matthew, in continuing, um, gives us Jesus' explanation of the parable. And so Jesus said, the one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. All things were created through Christ. The field is a world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. You have an enemy, it's not other people. It's Satan himself is our enemy a rebellious created being that does not have the same power as God. A pretender. It's not yin and yang, light and dark, you know, you've got to have both. No. It's, there's, no equi- there's no equivalence between Satan and God. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all 
who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, figurative language. If somebody says to me, well, look, I'm doing things and I believe things that you consider sin. Am I going to be burning in hell? They use it as kind of a mocking insult. So I wasn't going to burn in hell. Well, they've missed the point that it's figurative language. And I just want to ask them, look, I don't know what's going to happen to you based on the consequences of your decisions and actions. I'm just going to ask you this. What direction do you think you're going in? And what is your attitude along the way? Well, that I'm in control of my destiny. And whatever direction I go is the best. Okay. That, that wraps it up pretty nicely. And could it be that because you're a, a, a fallible human being, if you've, if you've never made a bad decision or had a, made a mistake or did something you regretted, then that's going to really work for you. At some point, though, if you're a fallible, normal human being, you might come up with some regrets. Why did I do that? What was I thinking? Why did I say what could possibly go wrong? And not listen to the counsel I got from other people. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever is interested in their own life and and in the world as it is and as it could be, whoever is interested in the process of change, let them hear. Listen up. Don't miss this. So remember, a a parable is a brief, memorable story of comparison. Literally, the Greek word parabolos means it's like this. You you lay two things next to each other and you go, it's like that. That's That's what a parable is. And the basic formula that Jesus uses is that the kingdom of heaven is like. Sometimes it's that literal phrase. Sometimes it's just the equivalent. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman lost a coin, a, son, a father lost a son. This happened. And it's always about telling us about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Those are synonymous terms. And so Jesus' parables are theology. That is a comprehensive way of thinking about biblical content and our experience of the world. It's, a theolo- it's theologically engaging us emotionally and relationally, telling us that something big is at stake. And we've been, though we've been created in God's image, we've become infected with sin and evil. And in the world we know, wheat can't become weeds, and weeds can't become wheat. It's kind of silly. But again, it's a parable. It's comparing. And so if you try to make it a perfect equivalence with a one-for-one correspondence, you miss the point of the parable. It's making an impression. Kind of like a dream. When you have a dream, it makes an impression on you. And when you try to unwind it and assign meaning to every aspect, it kind of falls apart. But it's your subconscious kind of trying to sort things out for you and it makes an impression on you. So in the world we know, wheat can't become weeds and weeds can't become wheat. But in the kingdom of God, sinful people become redeemed people transformed by God. Uh, and this word transformation is a word we know as morph. Morph. <laughs> you're morphing. You're changing. You're transitioning. And we, we, we understand that because we, right now our yard is getting ready to be a monarch butterfly rodeo. We got, you know, we got, we got the milkweed and all the other stuff going on. There's been little monarch butterfly caterpillars everywhere. We see the, cattle, you know, the chrysalis are starting to show up all over the place. And you know, for the next several months, it's going to be, every day is going to be like monarchs everywhere. Whoa, what happened? That, that little worm became that? Yeah, they morphed. And that's what this is about. Sinful people become redeemed people morphed by God. 
because of the direction they're going and the attitude about God that they're embracing. And so Paul says it this way, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. God has gifted us with his grace. How? Well, he says, believe in me. It's a gift for you. Repent of your sin. That is, turn toward me. Come in my direction. Receive my grace. It's a gift. God's riches at Christ's expense is, is the acronym that comes out of that. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And we get to grow in that grace. We get to walk in his love and grow in that grace. It's functional. It's not just an interesting poetic kind of a thrill, a little frilly thing you attach to life. It's like the parsley on the plate. It's an essential part of our human experience. And so with God, transformation is impossible. Without him, it's impossible. It doesn't happen. We can make some changes. In fact, I know a lot of people, super disciplined, awesome people, who say, you know, I don't need God. I think it's kind of uh, pointless, and uh, I've met enough people who turn me off about God that I don't need God. My life is pretty good. And I would say, your life is really good. Just imagine if you knew Christ. You'd go to a whole other level. So how good you are isn't the standard. It's how good he is. <clears throat> if all of us went, if I took you to Newport Beach, and we went to Newport Pier, and we had a contest to see who could jump the furthest off Newport Pier in order to land on Catalina Island. It's only 26 miles away. And if all of us lined up, and you know, at this age and stage of my life, if I could get to the end of the pier without stopping for a rest, I'd just kind of fall off the end of the pier. Some of you would do these incredibly stylistic, amazing leaps, great form, and you'd be out there and you'd be going 30, 40 feet, we'd be going, that's it. That guy, he's hand down winner, he gets a trophy. Unfortunately though, he is only 26 miles short of Catalina Island. That's the standard that we're looking at, not how awesome you can be compared to me. Everybody looks awesome compared to me. But I'm not the standard. I am not the standard. Jesus says, I am with you, therefore there's hope for you. I will make all things new, including you. I'm rescuing you and redeeming you from death, which you cannot do for yourself. I'm moving you from the cursed category to the blessed category. I'm moving you from shame to shining. I'm, I'm, it's a transformation in play here. And the big issue in this parable is addressing the stuff that undermines that, the evil in the world. Where does it come from? What's the cure? What's the timing for the harvest? But remember the context. I mentioned it a few moments ago. Everything good in the world comes from the kingdom of God. Everything that's wrong in this world is a result of rebellion against the kingdom of God. And everything that's uh, wrong in this world will be made right by the kingdom of God. That's the context. That's the reality of the framework we're in. That's the structure of reality. We have a physical structure of reality that we explore scientifically. But there's a larger, even a larger framework of reality that science fits within. There's a larger paradigm within which the science paradigm fits beautifully. And there's lots of room for that scientific paradigm to continue to grow. We're discovering amazing new things every day, and it's awesome. But uh, it's the equivalent of jumping from Newport Pier to Catalina. Given the framework of the true universe, it is so small what we know, what we've uh, explored today. <clears throat> so Peter, uh, the apostle of Jesus, writes in his letter, you know, chapter 3 uh, of, uh, of his second letter, he says this, hey, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. You know, why is this taking so long for all this to happen? Right? That's the question that they were asking Peter. He said, well, don't forget. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is, are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to fix what's wrong with this world. 
He's not slow as some understand slowness. There's a larger perspective here at play. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And you don't know, and I don't know, when God is going to bring it all together. We just don't know. My counsel to you is, is the famous rabbinic counsel. You should repent the day before the Lord returns. Well, I don't know when he's going to return. Oh, well, then you should repent today. In the Hebrew phrase, Hayom today is the day that the Lord has made. So don't forget, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, Peter says. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The essential structure will be revealed, a world that was made by God for our benefit, to reflect His glory and to bless us immensely. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Remember, you're moving toward inhabiting this new heaven and new earth. This is your ultimate destination and destiny in Christ. Not by your works, but by His grace. That you're working out in practical ways to honor and glorify Him and bless people. What kind of people are you to be? How should you then live? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the, earth, of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. The world as we know it is going to change, be morphed. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Are you with me on this? You see where this goes? It's not a happy fairy story that you have to really try to deny all reality to accept. It's the, it's the, it's the revelation of the real world in which we live and the larger context that goes beyond the, the three dimensions that we understand and allows us to open our eyes to a larger reality that doesn't postpone our life and, and discount this one, but engages our life right now, the life in which we live, in order to be connected to His kingdom now and forever. Why would I just wait to the end of life? Well, why would you do that? <clears throat> why not experience life now? Because you're dead in sin until you're alive in Him. So why don't you become alive in Him? In the meantime, so what do we do? Well, we stay rooted in Christ. We bear fruit through Christ. We're learning how to be those wheats, not those weeds. Weeds just take up all the nutrients from the soil and produce nothing. Wheat takes those same nutrients and produces something that is transformational. Now, there's a whole other issue here that we won't get into, and that is the way the food industry has screwed up gluten and how gluten has hurt a lot of people, uh, whether they're celiacs, that's a couple percentage of the population, but tons of people have gluten issues. Uh, it's not because of the wheat, it's because of the way we've mishandled the wheat. Um, I'm, not an, I'm not arguing against GMO either. Uh, all wheat is GMO because it transforms over time. But if you go to Europe, you'll eat wheat that won't make you feel bad. And if you eat wheat here, unless it's an ancient grain, which you're coming back, Right, so the point here is that I have no idea what the point is here, but um, <clears throat> but we're producing something good. We're not just consuming, consuming, consuming. We're bearing fruit. That's the point of being alive in Him right now. Something good is coming out of you, and it won't poison people; it'll bless people. 
Human-centered religion poisons people. Inadvertently, not on purpose. Christ-centered spirituality. In living in Christ, you might call that religious. Okay, great. It's a practice. But in Christ, as a Christ-centered movement of God's Spirit, it blesses people. And that's why churches are constantly in a state of repentance. Lord, are we getting off track? Have we appropriated your kingdom and made it small enough for it to be ours? This church and every church is in danger of that. That's why we constantly repent, saying, Lord, we want to be not our church, our brand. We want to be part of your kingdom. What would that look like for us to reflect that properly? So we seek his kingdom because we want to know and do his will. We, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And seeking his kingdom just means learning how to live in it, learning how to operate in it. What, what are the rules of the road? What, how do you get the most out of it? Uh, <clears throat> you, can, you and I can walk through a forest and miss a lot. You get somebody who knows the forest, oh my gosh, they're going, oh, check that out. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. Hey, you can eat this. It's amazing. That's what we get invited into. It's like, again, like being married. You seek your, if you're married, you seek your marriage one day at a time. Well, I'm married. I'm not seeking anything. I'm married. No, you're seeking to understand what it means to be married. Well, I got married 40 years ago. I understand it by now. No, you don't. You understood day one, and then you had to learn to understand day two and day four, and now you're learning how to understand what it means to be married and to love and cherish this person at this age and stage of your life. How are you doing in that learning process? Uh, some of us know how to play guitar. We, we've been playing the same three chords for our whole life. And you go, really? That's it? That's all a guitar can do? Uh, it's not that great of a guitar. Oh, really? It's a guitar. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, wow. So as you grow in grace and have a mind for Christ, our world gets bigger. This is what T.S. Eliot was alluding to uh, in that wonderful um, <clears throat> poem called Little Gidding, part of a quartet of poems he wrote. He says this, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of, our, of all of our exploring is to arrive where we started and to finally know the place for the first time. We shall not see some exploration. But at the end of all of our exploration, we'll arrive where we started, but we'll be different. We'll understand it fully. I had no idea how wonderful it would be to be married to Janet 40 years ago. I thought it would be awesome. It's more awesome than I could even imagine, right? Don't ask her her opinion. I've had 40 awesome years of marriage. She's had two or three, I don't know, something like that, maybe 10. But you know what I mean? The, the, that's the neat thing. Is it? Uh, you might say, "Well, I've never left my city. I, I, I'm, 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 I don't have mobility. I can't go anywhere. This poem doesn't relate to me." No, no, no. You don't have to go anywhere to explore. You can be in the same place, and as you open yourself to exploration, the inner exploration of who you are, the, the outer exploration of what the world is. You will return to that place you started. Oh, I'm immobile. I can't do anything. I'm too poor to travel. And all of a sudden you go, ah, I understand for the first time. I was talking to a guy recently. He goes, he says, yeah, well, um, I said, did you grow up in San Diego? He said, no, I grew up, yeah, I grew up in San Diego, La Mesa. And, uh, um, you know, the guy's like his late 40s. goes, yeah. And he kind of said it apologetically, and I, I still live in La Mesa. I said, that's awesome. He said, he goes, well, he didn't think I'd think it was awesome. But then he said, yeah, it is awesome. Because my wife and I bought a house a few blocks from my parents. And my brothers and sisters all live in La Mesa. 
and our kids are in a, you know, growing up to know each other. I'm thinking, La Mesa is the heart of the world then. There's no better place to live on the planet right now for that guy than La Mesa. You see? And instead of being a kid that is saying, oh, I'm from La Mesa, he's become a man that says, I am blessed to live in La Mesa. He understands it for the first time, perhaps. So we're a miracle in progress. We're being transformed into a harvest of righteousness. Uh, in this, is God's will a specific plan that you need to figure out and follow? Yes and no. Clearly, in God's word, there's things we're supposed to do. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Tell the truth. Say yes, say no. Be a good steward of what you have, whatever it is you have. Don't do these things. Do these things. But it's not like a formulaic thing. It's more like simply entering into a life, into a relationship. I have never re, re, you know, reviewed or rehearsed or written a conversation before I get together with somebody. <clears throat> uh, let me, oh, I'm supposed to start. Hey, well, so, no, it's just, hey, how are you? And we build the conversation together. This is what the will of God is. Be in a conversation with me, and we'll see where we go. Oh, I think I missed God's will. Really? You didn't talk to him today? Are you doing what you're learning and understanding? Well, yeah. I think you might be right in the sweet spot of God's will. Don't torture yourself with, I think I'm, I'm, can I miss God's will? Yeah. Willful disobedience, not paying attention. When people say my life came, to, you know, my, my marriage went to the rocks. Well, there's a lot of reasons. You can be awesomely committed and somebody else might not be. But often when you talk to somebody, they'll say, I just stopped listening. I just stopped noticing. Uh, I stopped thinking about them and their needs. I thought all about my needs. I started resenting that I wasn't happy and their job is to make me happy, I think. You see where that goes? They missed their spouse's will for them. Their spouse's will for them was to pay attention to them and build a life together. It's so simple and yet so complex, right? But you are an essential part of God's kingdom, and I know this because Jesus said so. Do not discount yourself or diminish yourself. You are an essential part of God's kingdom. Um, Jesus' apostle Paul, um, like Peter, uh, builds on this in his letters. He says, um, we will all be changed. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable. We will be changed. We will be morphed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. That is, we as human beings and our limited capacities are perishable. But in Christ, we are imperishable. So embracing change is all about living in the present, growing into our fullest capacity wherever we are. You might say, well, my capacity is diminished. You know, if you're old and you're, you're um, living in your fullest capacity, you're a deep well. When you're young, you feel like the Colorado River. Whoa, it's an impressive flow of water. When you're old, you're a deep well. The well, is, you go to the Mideast, the well is the center of the community. It nourishes and supports and sustains the community. Old people are deep wells if they've been doing what we've been talking about. If they've been paying attention, they can't help it. They don't have to try, they just are deep wells. This is where you're going. This is where you're going. This is what you're made for, to be the deep well that sustains people in harsh places. You become a river, a well for your friends. Don't hold back. 
and don't rush ahead. Just be present in the moment you're living and, f- and understand what God wants to do. To everything there's a season. What season is it for you? Oh, it's a crappy season. I'm suffering. Ah, essential. He's taking you deep. Ah, oh, it's so easy. Everything is so easy right now. It's awesome. I feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. He's taking you high. Be present in the season you're in. I love the way Paul said it earlier in his letter to the Corinthians. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a fully mature adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Really, they're in us. The boy and the girl is still in you. But you're, you've grown to a place where you're taking them someplace where they couldn't go. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So in Jesus' name, let's embrace the necessary and inevitable changes in our lives. Welcome them as friends, don't resist them as enemies. They're not here to threaten you, they're here to bless you in Jesus' hands. Even the scary things, he'll use to bless you. Have confidence that all things work together for, God, for, for good for those who love the Lord. See that in Romans 8, 28. And claim this wherever you are on your personal journey, knowing that you're in this journey with other people. We're on our own journey. We must take responsible for our journey, but in the company of others. Part of our responsibility is to be on the journey in community. Who is your community? You might be here for the first time today. Welcome to the community. And hopefully it'll connect to the other communities in your life, the overlapping network of communities that sustain us. If you're not in community, if you're in this church and you're not connected to it in community, you're depriving yourself. It'd be like going on a fully paid cruise and never eating. <laughs> Enjoy the trip, right? Lord Jesus, you've given us that call. You've given us that gift to enjoy a world that is fallen and desperate and in so much need. But because of your kingdom, uh, we have hope. Right now, right here, in the, in the darkest places, in the most horrible situations, you bring hope. In the places where everything seems easy and good, you are the reason for that hope. So Lord, we give our, our hearts and our minds to you, opening ourselves to you, inviting you to come into our life, perhaps for the first time today. Lord, I come into my life, be my Savior. Uh, help me to be your friend. Maybe, Lord, we were, we're discouraged and we plateaued. I pray that for each one of us in that place, Lord, you'd revive us, renew the joy of our salvation. I thank you, Lord, for the ages and stages uh, represented here, the wild human experiences represented in this room. I pray that you'd use those uh, to make us wise and strong, that we can reflect your glory to people in a dark place and light it with your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. As we wrap up, we wrap up with an offering, and this is not an offering, a financial offering. We welcome those. We need those. Uh, You can contribute on the way out. There's a box there, or you can send it to us. But this offering is about you offering yourself to the Lord. And we use the music and the words of the music and the song as an act of worship to offer ourselves to Him. So let's do that, and then we'll end with a, a benediction, a blessing.
that's the good news. Uh, that's the good news. God is here among us. God is on the move. He's taking us somewhere good. Uh, don't be left behind. Don't be left behind. You have an essential role to play. There's things God wants to do in you, and there's things that God wants to do through you. All of them count. All of them matter. Open your heart, open your mind, open your hands to that. Don't resist it. Don't let fear, insecurity, um, you know, biases, bad experiences hold you back from what is yours in Christ. Uh, if we can pray for you about anything, uh, this is an awesome thing uh, to have people pray for you. You go right around the corner in that beautiful garden, there'll be some people who'll say, hey, how can I pray for you? And if you can't even figure out what to pray for, just let them pray for you. If it's about some other situation or person, you can tell them and, uh, and they will pray for that. So uh, during the week, you heard earlier, we have uh, people who pray for every need that's given to the church. We do that anonymously, anonymously and confidentially. It's not a gossip network, it's a prayer movement. Uh, go out and have something to eat. Go out on a limb, get a little crazy, and introduce yourself to somebody. and Say hi to them. And if they say, I've already met you four times, go, my bad. Uh, I'll get it right. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine, give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.